0: Our scripture reading this morning will be taken from Nehemiah, chapter 2, verses 11 through 18. In your pew Bible, this is located on page 429. Again, this is Nehemiah, chapter 2, verses 11 through 18. I'll be reading from the New King James Version. So I came to Jerusalem and was there three days. Then I rose in the night, I and a few men with me. I told no one what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem, nor was there any animal with me except the one on which I rode. And I went out by night through the valley gate to the serpent well and the refuse gate, and viewed the walls of Jerusalem which were broken down and its gates which were burned with fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal under me to pass." So I went up in the night by the valley and viewed the wall. Then I turned back and entered by the valley gate and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I had done. I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or the others who did the work. Then I said to them, You see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lies waste and its gates are burned with fire. Come, and let us build the wall of Jerusalem, that we may no longer be a reproach. And I told them of the hand of my God, which had been good upon me, and also of the king's words that he had spoken to me. So they said, Let us rise up and build. Then they set their hands to this good work.
1: Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're visiting with us this morning, we welcome you. It is great to have you. You being here is an encouragement to us, and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you. A mode of transportation that probably not many of us have ever used, uh, but yet years ago, was very common, was that of the stagecoach. You may not know that there were different classes of travel, even on the stagecoach. A first-class ticket would enable you the guarantee to arrive at a certain time and that your transportation would have been comfortable. So therefore, it was guaranteed. If you arrived late, your money was returned to you or if anything along the way made your ride uncomfortable, you returned your money. A second class ticket gave you the right to arrive, but not necessarily on time and not necessarily in comfort. In other words, if someone had to step out of the coach in order for a wheel to be changed out, the second class customers were the ones that had to step off of the coach. Or if someone had to get out for any other reason, such as that the coach had to be pushed through the mud, those were the ones that had to step out. But then there were the third class. The third class not only had the stipulation that they would be passengers, but they also would be expected to carry out work in favor or in order for the coach to reach its destination. In other words, somebody had to change out the wheel. Somebody had to help move trees out of the way that had fallen down or roll boulders out of the middle of the road. Someone had to go back and literally push the coach in order for it to go through the mud. And so all those that bought the third class ticket were expected to do so. And of course, no money would be returned because that was a part of the stipulation of buying that ticket. Now today... It's interesting that at least to a small degree, we see the same thing in airline travel, at least with first coach and first class and then coach. We see nicer seats, greater amenities, more food offered, services offered to those that aren't in first class. But you know, I guess the greatest comparison would be those that are the stewardess and those that are the flight attendants. You see, they also travel from point A to point B but yet they're expected to serve all along the way. I want to ask you, how do you view the church? Do you think that in the church you ought to be first class? Is coach suitable for you? Or do you see yourself more as an attendant? Do you see yourself as one that's continually serving? Now, Out of several hundred, there would be some here this morning that really believe I give my money and everyone needs to wait on me. The service ought to start on time and it ought to end on time. And that's fine with me because I gave my money. I'm a member here. Kind of like being a member of a country club. I paid my dues, now everybody wait on me. Others would say, oh, I'm not that arrogant about it, but the truth is I don't want to do a lot, but I still want to enjoy everything that the church has to offer to my family. And then there's others that understand the church just the way the Lord designed it to be: the servants. You see, when we're saved, we don't become saved to be arrogant, we become saved to literally put our hands to a plow and get to work in the kingdom of heaven. We become saved to be servants so that we can reach out to others, and that's not so that we can be judgmental and throw rocks at those that want to sit in first class. Isn't this interesting? As Christians, we literally serve those that believe they're in first class. And we encourage them along the way and urge them to see Christianity for how it really is. We even go outside the walls of the church and we serve those that have never named the name of the Lord. We do benevolent things and we offer them the greatest command or the second greatest command to love our neighbor as ourself. We even go to the other side of the world to serve people in a benevolent and evangelistic effort. Because we believe that to be a Christian, we are to be workers in the Lord's kingdom. And we realize that working means serving others. This morning, I hope by the time this lesson is over, that our study will have made us realize that what we all want to be, as we all want to be the servants, because the Lord teaches us that the least shall become greatest, and those that serve shall be first. You see, as we are on a pilgrimage from this earth to heaven, it's going to be the servants that are going to have the great reward of the eternity that is to come. And so it is. It's something wonderful for us to think about. Now, when we think about this, I think also with the fact that we have dreams. We've been talking for several weeks of envisioning things. And oftentimes, as as we look at it, we might could ask the question, which seems the hardest to do? Do you think it's harder to dream up a vision? Or is it harder to develop a vision? Or is it harder to maintain a vision? In the first chapter of Nehemiah, we talked about uh, several weeks ago dreaming up that vision. As we go to the beginning of the second chapter, we talked about developing that vision. And today we're going to look at maintaining that vision. And not so that you can answer out loud, but I want you to just pause for a moment. Which one is most difficult? It's interesting that some say, I'm just not creative. I think dreaming it up is the most difficult. Someone else says, hey, getting the nuts and bolts to it, that's the hardest part. I want to suggest to you this morning, and probably the hardest part is maintaining that vision. Let me give you an illustration that might make this a little more uh, understandable, the line of thinking that we're looking. I wonder how many people in January, and I'm not talking about those that were just lighthearted, I'm talking about those that were really, really serious about changes in their life. And so they looked at where they were physically and they said, Listen, I I can see, I can envision myself living a more healthy life, becoming uh, a stronger person, eating better, greater nutrition in my life. And so they began to develop a plan. They began to read books. They began to look at exercise programs. Maybe they even went and and they met perhaps with a nutritionist that could teach them the best way to eat. Maybe they met with a fitness coach that could tell them the ways that they ought to be exercising each week. And so not only did they dream this up and envision it, but they also developed the plan. Now, let's say that there were a million Americans that did that back in January. How many of that million do you think that they are continuing that today? Just a few months later, we would know that the percentage would be very, very low. Why? It's a lot more exciting to dream. It's even quite an accomplishment to develop. But what really is the test is whether or not you and I are willing to maintain that that we believe is right and best. Friends, I want to suggest to you that if you're a part of the Lord's church, it's exciting to think about reaching heaven. It's exciting to have that vision out of what God wants us to become, that we start out as newborn babies, but we grow and we mature. And as we look at that development, we realize the more we study the Scriptures, the more of what God would want us to be as we grow and mature. But you know what the challenging thing is? The challenging thing is maintaining that. The challenging thing is finishing that. And even when we look in the life of the church as a whole, it's exciting to see what the Mount Juliet congregation can be in the future. And it's interesting and it's challenging to take and develop programs and structures for everyone to get involved and for everyone to be a participant of the Lord's work. But it's a lot harder to maintain that than it is ever to dream it up and develop it. And so when we look this morning in the Scriptures of Nehemiah, He's one of the greatest case examples of an individual that we saw his dreams, we saw him develop, but, but we also saw him finish it. We saw him be able to maintain this to the end. The author and speaker that's known around the globe, John Maxwell, I like what he says about this kind of thing when he says this, Most people do not have problems making decisions. Most people, the difficult thing is managing decisions. You see, most of us today probably know what the right thing to do. And at one point in our life, if we look back a few months or a few years or maybe in a few decades, we said how involved we were going to be and how we were going to be committed to the work of the Lord. But somewhere along the way, it's easy to lose sight of that and it's easy to neglect what is so important. And it's easy to let the main thing stop being the main thing. And so when we look at Nehemiah this morning, I want you to go back again to the second chapter in verse 17, a part of the text that was so capably read for us. And look again at 17, and as we read this, I want you to notice these personal uh, pronouns and descriptions of individuals there of Jerusalem. And he says in 17, And then I said to them, You see the distress we are in. How Jerusalem lies waste and his gates are burned with fire. Come and let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. We're going to be able to maintain and we're going to be able to be and continue being what God wants us to be if we continue to see the importance of people. Friends, when we look at the SOS booklet, it's not about a program. It's not about ministries. It's about seeing the worth and the value of people. When a deacon leads each of his areas, we challenge the deacon not to just see his area, but to see all of the people that want to be involved in that area. As you serve in that area, I challenge you not to just see a ministry, but realize everything we do is to help people grow closer to their God. It's about helping people as we serve them. It's about helping people as we magnify God. Friends, if it's not about people, we don't need to be involved in it. We have a transportation ministry of vans and a bus because we're about getting people to the destinations that would best help them have the opportunity to be served and grow closer to God. Even the maintenance of this building is not about bricks and mortar. If that were the case, we ought to start investing in properties all over as a church and just have crews that go out and take care of buildings and investments. No, this is about people. It's about giving place for people to worship. It's about giving a place for people to serve and to be served in Bible classes and etc. Friends, you can't name anything that we do that the emphasis should not be upon God and serving people so that they can grow closer to God. Several weeks ago when we were talking about the development stage... We talked about the fact that it's shocking to me that hardly ever do you hear individuals talk about Nehemiah without them concentrating solely upon the wall. As if Nehemiah was all about a wall. If you heard some people speak and preach and study about Nehemiah, you would think that that's all that mattered in his life. Friends, he realized even in his 17th verse, it was about the fact that his people were in reproach. It was about the fact that the people could do something greater. For the glory of God, they could build back this wall. It's that the people of God could stand opposed to their enemy with strength of God on their side. Friends, if it would have been about people, I'm sorry, if it would have been about the wall, at the end of 52 days, the wall would have been built and he would have packed his bags and he would have been back home. Instead, he served as their governor free of charge, didn't charge, didn't ask for the property or even the the, uh, fringe benefits that others in the past have been offered in his position. It was about the people in the sense that he brought the people together in the 8th chapter and had Ezra to speak the word of God to them all day long. It was about the people as the last chapter in the book of Nehemiah, he was pleading for the people to have pure families. Friends, it was all about the people. Today, I beg you, let's see our opportunity to serve. Not to get involved in a program, but to see the program as a step to help us and others grow closer to God. It's about the people. But people, especially when you have several hundred They need to be organized if great work is to be done. Look with me, if you will, as we go back to Nehemiah, and let's look in the third chapter. In Nehemiah, the third chapter, let's read verse 1 as we see the organization of the people. We're not going to take the time to read a lot of verses in Nehemiah, the third chapter, but just so you know, if you have your Bible open, you're seeing several verses. It's 32 verses, and these 32 verses are going to refer to 40 sections of the wall and 40 groups that worked on this. In other words, we see that a part of building back the wall was a very, very carefully uh, planned out, structured type of work. It makes sense that God would want that because God would want the greatest things for His work, the greatest good to be done. And if you can imagine a nation or a city of people working without organization, think of the haphazard result that that would be. Also think of the fact that these people had been living and existing without any organization and their wall was still in shambles. And so now a leader comes along that says, look, we can do that. He plants the vision in their mind and they're ready to develop this. But are they going to be able to carry it to the end? Well, he puts a structure in place that can be maintained over time. Friends, that's the beauty of asking individual deacons to lead individual ministries, is they commit to that ministry so that they can make sure that that ministry doesn't just reach highs and then go into non-existence over a short period of time. But they're giving their life of service to that and they've committed to that for two years. And then the elders ask us as a congregation, will we commit to certain works for two years? To know that these things are planned, to know that there is a structure in place that is best for the work of the Lord. Let's read an example. We begin reading in verse 1 and this is the third chapter. Then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brethren, the priest, and built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and hung its doors. They built as far as the tower of the hundred and consecrated it. Then as far as the tower of Hananel. Now what we see here is we see beginning in the northeast uh, section where the temple would have been, And the priests were the ones that built back the area that was closest to them. Now, some might have not expected everyone to be participants in this. You mean the priests, the ones that go out and they they offer the offerings for God? They're going to get out and they're going to get involved in construction work? They're going to build back the areas closest? Yes. Pretty much everybody was involved in this. As a matter of fact, on the next slide, we see a listing of... Uh, individuals and groups and occupations and etc. that were involved in building back the temple. And there would be others if you want to look in there carefully. But that's simply to to let us see that there was a great structure. And each individual uh, group had leaders and they were held accountable in the sense that if the wall was going to be built back, each one needed to do their part. Now, someone says, but today people just not ever want to do it. Not everyone will work in the Lord's church. Well, that's not anything new. Even back in this day and time, when the wall was being built back, not everyone would work there. Let's look at the third chapter in verse 5. Third chapter in verse 5. We don't have a slide for it, but notice if you have your Bible open, the third chapter in verse 5, we read about a section that was being built back. And it says, next to them, the Tekoites made repairs, but their nobles did not put their shoulders to the work of the Lord. Now isn't this interesting that there were a certain group of people that they did do their job. This would be the southern part of the wall. They were willing to do their part. But yet the nobles, you can imagine them perhaps peeking out of their window. They were watching the other people work, but they wouldn't be involved in it. Most scholars agree that probably the reason they wouldn't be involved in it was because of Sanballat that we read about him being an enemy of these children of Israel for the duration of building back the wall. As a matter of fact, if you look back in the second chapter in verse 10, you see that when Nehemiah goes back, he immediately is disappointed that the children of Israel may prosper. He's disappointed that the wall may be built back. And so the idea here of belief is that the nobles were sympathetic to the enemy. In other words, maybe there was some kind of financial gain for the nobles to not be involved in this. Maybe it was some kind of idea of the belief that they wouldn't suffer future consequences. In other words, if I go and I show myself as being active of building back this wall and the enemy comes back, And he sees me as one that's building back this wall. He may make life harder on me. Because they had stopped their progress in the past. But note this. There will always be those, for perhaps a variety of reasons, that set back and watch others work. Please note this, church. It didn't stop their vision from becoming reality. It didn't stop the work from being done. And the truth is it will always be that way. I want to urge you, if you're one of the ones setting back, to think of Jesus' words, you can't serve two masters. If you're not working, it may be because you've got sin in your life that makes it difficult for you to serve. Maybe you feel guilty. Maybe you feel like a conflict of interest. Wouldn't it be wonderful to change masters today and go to work for the one that loves you? The one that wants what's best for you? And the one that wants to spend an eternity with you in heaven? What a blessing it would be to prosper ourselves by linking ourselves on the team with God. And the team with God's servants. What a blessing that would be as we consider which team that we're on. Now... Let's notice this next slide, and please note this. When we see the importance of people, we also see the need to be structured to have an organization that can carry out the greater good for the Lord. But there also needs to be times of evaluation. In the text that was read this morning... Do you notice that Nehemiah went about and, and he was alone pretty much at this time and he was just evaluating the condition of the wall and of course it was in shambles. When we come to the fourth chapter, in the fourth chapter in verse six, notice how this reads. So we built the wall and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height for the people had a mind to work. Now compare that to the ones that we read about a while ago. They, the Tekoites, the nobles of them, they wouldn't shoulder their, they wouldn't put their shoulder to the work. But yet, what about all the rest of the people? All the rest of the people had a mind to work. And what was the result? He goes out and evaluates it this time. First time he went out, he said, there's nothing there. He puts the people to work and these 40 groups of people start building back these 40 sections. Can you imagine how exciting it was when words started being spread all the way around that the wall is finally joined continually? All the way around, the wall is joined. That must have been exciting. But at this point, it's only half high. But it must have been exciting. Hey, we're getting this off the ground. Look how wonderful it is. But now, also, we're going to note in just a moment that it was at this same time that throughout this period of evaluation, they also found out that enemies were ready to stop this progress. But let's go ahead and let's look in the 6th chapter verse 15 and let's see another time of evaluation. In 6 and 15, he said, so then the wall was finished on the 25th day of Elul in 52 days. See, we see a time when nothing was there. But what was Nehemiah doing? He was evaluating the situation. Why? Because plans needed to be made. People needed to get involved in this work. They got involved. What did he do? He continued to evaluate. Okay, this is where we are. This is the progress we made. But now look out because the enemy is about to hinder us if we don't reposition some things. But now look at this end. Have you noticed that we typically take a look at our ministries in a redefining way every two years? There's a reason for that. Studies would show that if things are not tweaked, if they are not evaluated, that over a two-year period of time, they can drop tremendously. So we ask everyone to be involved in restructuring every two years so all of us can think about what are we about? What is the work? In other words, if you've signed up for an SOS in the past, we need you to sign up again. We need you to sign up today because we're organizing several hundred people to help people get to heaven. Now, please let me note this real quickly. A lot of you probably, and by the way, the little individual sheets that you'll submit back in, they're available as you exit each of the doorways and out on the Welcome Center. A lot of you have good intentions and you're planning on filling this out. Now, if you're like me, You'll get to it, right? I want you to think about how nice it would be for those that are trying to organize this if you went ahead and sat down this afternoon and did it, brought it back tonight. Have you ever been a part of something like, say, even when you were a kid and you chose teams and you started playing and then during the middle of the game, people kept coming in and coming in and coming in? And that was great that people kept coming in, but you know, you were thinking, wow, wouldn't it have been great if we could have done this from the very beginning? Now, we want everyone to be involved whenever you're ready. But wouldn't it be awesome if right now, the time that we're striving to structure everything to the greatest good for God, if everyone said right now, hey, here's where I want to serve over the next two years. Here's how I want to be involved. And that structure could already be put in place in just a few weeks' time. Please don't put that off. Please go ahead and do it today. For the greater cause of the Lord. But now notice this repositioning. We're going to go back now to the fourth chapter. And I'd like for you and I to read verse 13 and 14. Because we see a need to evaluate. It's far greater than just making a program succeed. Note this. Verse thirteen and fourteen, the enemy's already told him ten times they're going to destroy them. And now we read verse thirteen and fourteen. Therefore, Nehemiah says, I position men between the lower parts of the wall and at the openings, and I set the people according to their families, with their swords, their spears, their bows, and I looked, and I rose and I said to the nobles, to the leaders, to the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord. Great and awesome. See, it's about God, but notice it's also about the people. And fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, your houses. In other words, your households. You see what's taking place here? He looked around, he saw the wall was half high. He saw things were going great. But also in this reevaluation, he says, there's some things we need to do different. Nehemiah, why do you need to do things different? The enemy is about to overtake us. Nehemiah, what are you going to do? We're going to reposition people. We're going to take some people here and we're going to put them here. And we're also going to remind everything of two things that's real important. What's that? Number one, God's on your side. I need to remember that. Number two, do you really want this to succeed? Your family is at stake here. Why should I be involved in the work of the Lord's church? My family is at stake. There were generations before you and I that gave their life to the work of the church in this congregation. And now we enjoy the blessings of it. What are you and I going to leave for our children and our grandchildren? It gives me cold chills to think about Nehemiah staring some guys and some ladies in the eyes that probably wanted to run when they heard that the enemy was coming. Because that's what they'd done back in the past. You can read it in Ezra. This time, he's not going to let them run. And he's going to say, you remember God? And you remember your children. Do what's right for your children's sake. How do you see the church? Do you see the church as just a first class ride for you? Hope somebody does something for me while I'm here. Or do you see the church as we're on a pilgrimage? We're all working and serving together all the way to heaven. And along the way, we're going to serve a lot of people. And we're going to pick a lot of people up. And thank God, a lot of people are going to pick us up. And along the way, as we studied last week in that great resurrection chapter... Beseech you, therefore, brethren, in the mercies of Christ. That's the wrong verse. Go to 1 Corinthians 15 58. My mind went blank. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable. Note this always abounding in the work of the Lord. Why do we do this? 57 verses about the resurrection. Why do we do this? Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Why? For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Friends, this morning, please be involved in the Lord's work. It's not for our glory or to say, look at this program. It's for people. It's for our soul and for the souls of those that we serve. If you've never been baptized into Christ for mission of sins, won't you do that this morning? Join forces with the Lord. It's not to say, Lord, I want a free ride, but it's to say, Lord, I realize I'm saved by your grace and I'm ready to serve along with you in your kingdom. If you have been baptized into Christ, but yet something has separated you from what you ought to be on that journey, something has hindered you from being faithful, let's come back and let's be a part of a family and let's be a part of a work. That's never in vain. Let's make sure that we leave here today determined to do what we can do for the work of the Lord because we're thankful for a Lord that saved us.